Well, welcome to the Hills. All of you that are part of our online community, all of you in person at West Fort Worth, Keller, North Richmond Hills campuses, and our Dallas launch team. And by the way, I'm going to be in Dallas in person next Sunday. So all of you there, please let your friends know. I look forward to that. Uh, we're about to start a very important series, but first I want to show you a couple of pictures. Last Friday was a very good day for me. I'm wearing a pink shirt for a reason. So please meet my newest granddaughter. This is Sage Elliott Hamilton. She is six pounds and five ounces of perfection. Now, some of you are thinking, Pastor, did you just take blatant advantage of your platform to brag on your granddaughter? I most certainly did. I own it. And in fact, I hope in the next year or two, I get to do it again. Thank you for praying for my family. One of the joys of the men's conference for me personally was a reunion with Taylor Wally. I had not been with Taylor since he left our church in August to go and start a new church in California. And so we got to reconnect. And if you are new to our church, for some years, Taylor was with me on the preaching team. And so I've been asked a lot, what does the preaching team look like going forward? So I want to show you this next picture. And you see three men there. Uh, you know Emmanuel Dominguez, who's been on our next-gen team for a long time. The other good-looking young man is named Drew Ritchie. The last several years, he's been a preacher in Clifton, Texas, but he's joining our staff later this month. He's going to lead a lot of our adult ministries, including our rooted groups. Uh, God's hand is on both of these men to preach and to lead. And in fact, someday they will have the role I have, and they'll be the senior teaching minister of their own churches. And so, like we love to do here, we're going to pour into the next generation of preachers. And for the foreseeable future, these two young guys will be doing most of the preaching here when I am not preaching. And the thing I love is that we are different generations, we're different ethnicities, uh, we're different backgrounds and training. But we have three things in common. We love Jesus, uh, we love Jesus' church, and we love the scriptures. And so I believe that you're going to be blessed by the teaching you hear this coming year. And I wanted you to know about that. If you are new to our church... I can tell you what we're about in two sentences. They are these. The Hills Church exists to make and grow followers of Jesus. And we do this together by being with Jesus, becoming like Jesus, and doing what Jesus did. That's what we mean when we say follow Jesus. Be, become, and do. But those verbs depend on another verb that is very critical. In fact, it's impossible to follow Jesus without this verb. And the verb is here. Jesus said in John 10, my sheep listen to my voice. I know them and they follow me. Jesus understood you cannot follow a shepherd you never hear. And so one Sunday after the pastor was through with his message, a man came forward and said, Pastor, I desperately need you to pray for my hearing. So the pastor put his hands on the man's ears and prayed fervently. And when he was through, he said, how is your hearing? And the man replied, well, how would I know? It's not till next Wednesday down at the courthouse. <laughs> so when it comes to being a follower of Jesus, how often do you pray for your hearing? You pray for my speaking all the time. 
Do you ever ask anyone to pray for your hearing? Do you understand, as a citizen of the kingdom of God, you have the capacity and the responsibility to hear the voice of the Lord? We're not just expected to talk about God or even just encouraged to talk to God. We were meant to talk with God. And the good news is we serve a God who likes to talk. So we're starting this series called It Is Good to Hear Your Voice. Because you cannot follow a rabbi you do not hear. And so this is the first lesson in this series, and we're going to do a few foundational principles, and maybe the most important is this one. The Bible speaks of a God who speaks, and you have to believe that or nothing else I say is going to matter. The Bible speaks of a God who speaks. Please notice I did not say the Bible speaks of a God who spoke, and yet many Christians Try to follow a God they never expect to hear from. Maybe this illustration will help. In 1897, President McKinley complained he was getting over 100 letters a day and he couldn't handle all the correspondence. So they created the Office of Presidential Correspondence. Today, the White House receives over 10,000 letters and emails and packages a day. And most of them start this way. I know that no one will read this. But someone does. There's a whole department. There's a staff of 45 people with 35 interns and over 300 rotating volunteers to read all that correspondence. Now, the reality is, unless it's an exceptional case, the president is never going to see those letters. And how many of you feel that describes your relationship to God? He gets billions of prayers a day. He probably doesn't have time to hear mine. And even if he did, I'm not going to hear back. But the God of the Bible is not like the gods of other religions. The scriptures reveal that what makes God unique is his propensity to speak. It is what separates God from all the other deities, that this God has a voice and he uses it. It's one way you can know a true God from the false gods. 1 Corinthians 12, 2, you know when you were still pagans, you were led astray and swept along in worshiping speechless idols. So many people worship a God who never speaks. Most of the great world religions have a completely impersonal relationship with their deity. There is no record of an interaction with that deity. This is not the God of the Bible. He seeks regular interaction with his worshipers. And he invites all into this dynamic relationship, not just a son. By the way, that is one of the key signs of a cult. When someone says, some of us get to hear God and we will tell you what he says. The rest of you can't hear God. No, Jesus said, my sheep, not just some, but my sheep hear my voice. This was one of the promises of the messianic age. Look at Isaiah, the prophet. He will be gracious if you ask for help. He will surely respond to the sound of your cries. 
Your own ears will hear him. Right behind you, a voice will say, this is the way you should go, whether to the right or to the left. This is the God. It's recorded in the scripture. The Bible speaks of a God who speaks. Yet so many have settled for a relationship with God where it's just a monologue and they do all the talking. It's like the best they can hope for is to leave a message on God's voicemail and hope that maybe he'll check it. In fact, some of you have been taught like I was taught long ago that since we now have a completed canon, the Holy Scriptures, we should expect the silent treatment from God. God doesn't need to speak. He has already spoken. But nowhere in this Bible is a mute God depicted or expected. What the scriptures consistently reveal is that God consistently reveals himself. A mute God is not biblical. And there's no way a mute God can be personal. You cannot legitimately follow a God whose voice you never hear. Now, did you see in the paper this past week that some uh, researchers think they have found the image of Amelia Earhart's plane in the bottom of the Pacific Ocean? And almost none of you know who that is, so let me give you some backstory. 1937, Amelia Earhart attempted to become the first woman to circumnavigate the globe. She took off from Oakland. She flew across America, across the Atlantic, across Europe and Asia. 44 days later, she took off from New Guinea with her navigator, Fred Noonan, for the longest part of her trip, 2,500 miles over the Pacific Ocean to find a little dot in the middle of the water called Howland Island. For 18 hours, there was no communication. She was not responding to any of the messages that people were sending to her to help her. Finally, there was a voice. I must be on top of you, but I can't see you. I'm running low on fuel. And one hour later, there was another voice, very distraught, describing her situation. And that was the last that was heard. And she and Mr. Noonan and the plane sank. What made it even sadder was they went back to New Guinea. They found that bumpy dirt runway she took off from. And on the ground was the radio antenna receiver that had been jostled off the plane. What happened without that antenna is that she was able to send messages, but she could not receive any. She could talk, but she could not hear. She got no guidance. She got no direction. She got no help. She could send, but she could not receive. Did I just describe how some of you are trying to follow God? My sheep hear my voice, and they follow me. What I'm going to contend all through this series is this, that hearing God's voice 
is normal and critical to discipleship. We were created for communion with God. When he put Adam and Eve in the garden, he would walk with them, and they heard the sound of his voice. The Christian life is to be a dynamic relationship with a personal Savior. If it is not, it will not thrive. Will you continue to call someone who never answers the phone? You will do that a few times, and then you will stop. Will you continue to try to build a relationship with someone that never talks back to you? You will stop. It's hearing his voice that motivates us to make the choice to keep following. Now, let me be clear. In the weeks ahead, you're not going to hear anything that is going to diminish the inspiration and the authority of the scriptures as God's word to us. In fact, I think what I'm going to preach will increase your confidence that in scripture you can hear the voice of God. But I want to be clear that the voice of God we hear in our Bible is not limited only to the words in the Bible. Think about it. All the millions of Christians throughout history that never owned a Bible, that can't read a Bible, that have never even seen a Bible. And for that matter, if all the direction we now need from God is already in the Bible, why was it so important for Jesus to send us the Holy Spirit? The scripture says in Romans 8, for all who are led by the Spirit of God are children of God. It is, in fact, your capacity to receive direction from the Holy Spirit that testifies that you are a part of the family of God. When you read the book of Acts and the story of the first Christians, it becomes clear that supernatural direction from the Holy Spirit is normal. In chapter 8, a man named Philip at a revival gets a visit from an angel. He's told to go out to a road. He's on that road, and the Holy Spirit says, you see that man from Ethiopia in that chariot? Go up and join him. And Luke writes that like it's normal. Luke doesn't say, now the strangest thing happened next. In chapter 9, you have a man named Ananias in Damascus, and he hears his name. Ananias! And he turns around and says, yes, Lord, do you do that when you hear your name? And again, it is written like this is just normal for Ananias to expect to hear the voice of Jesus. In chapter 10, you have a Roman soldier named Cornelius and an angel appears to him. It says, send off for a man named Peter. So he sends people to that town and Peter's up on the roof and he's getting a vision from God telling him to receive these men and go with them. In chapter 16, you have Paul. He wants to go up into Asia and plant churches. And it just says the Spirit said no. So he says, well, then I'll go down to a region called Bithynia and plant churches. And again, the Spirit says no. How did the Spirit say no? We don't know. 
but apparently it was very normal. So he goes to a place called Troas. He goes to sleep. He has a vision, and God says, come over to Macedonia, and the gospel goes to Europe. And again, these and many other examples read normal. This is how the early church operated, constantly hearing the voice of the Lord. So the question we have to ask as we read the book of Acts, is Acts filled with exceptions to acknowledge or is it filled with examples to expect? I believe the story of the early church reveals hearing God's voice is normal and critical to discipleship. Many of us grew up in churches that believe this to a point. Here's what I mean. In the little church in which I was raised, you learned early on there were certain phrases that you should use in your holy prayer. One of them was, please give our preacher a ready recollection of the things he has prepared. Because evidently when I was young, preachers were very forgetful and they needed help remembering their sermons. Another at the benediction was to pray and bring us back at the next appointed hour. And a phrase I learned as a boy, because I heard it every Sunday, was we asked God to guide, guard, and direct us. I thought it was one word. I thought maybe that's a German word, but I learned it. <laughs> you see, it was normal for us on a weekly basis to ask God to give us daily direction. We sang it too. Guide me, O thou great Jehovah. He leadeth me, O blessed thought. We would sometimes sing a song called, I Come to the Garden Alone. And in the chorus, we would sing, and he walks with me, and he talks with me. And yet, if someone ever said in my little church, I heard the voice of God this week, we would have been suspicious. Our view was, if you talk to God, you are a prayer, and if you hear from God, you are a weirdo. <laughs> because we didn't hear from God. We didn't expect to hear from God. God spoke, and that was it. And we were guilty of allowing our experience to frame our understanding and expectations instead of allowing the scriptures themselves to critique our lack of experience. So I want to be clear in case you're wondering, Pastor, are you saying that you regularly receive direction from God, that you hear the voice of God, not just inside, but even outside of the Bible? Yes, that is exactly what I am saying. And you might be thinking, well, Pastor, why hasn't that been my experience? Simple. God likes me more than he likes you. <laughs> Actually, there are a number of reasons why Christians do not hear God. One could be, like me as a young boy, that they do not expect to hear his voice. One could be that they have never been taught to hear his voice. 
We're trying to address that in this series. One reason could be that they do not want to hear his voice. The nice thing about a mute God is that you can keep him at a distance. A God that never talks can't get up in your business and expect more of you. But we do have a choice when it comes to which voice we will listen to. And we need to make it. It's a critical choice, and here's why. Because we're shaped most by who we listen to most. We said in the last series, formation is not a Christian thing. Formation is a human thing. Everyone is being formed, either consciously or unconsciously, by the voices in their life to which they give the most attention. A number of pastors I've talked to in the last few years have recognized this in a new and profound way. Trying to lead churches through pandemics and racial and political tensions in this country. And seeing how some Christians have responded have made us realize that many in our churches are not going to the church or to the scriptures. They're going to other voices for their daily direction. Let me be clear. It is impossible to shape people into the image of Christ when he gets their attention for about one hour about 1.7 Sundays a month. It is impossible. Now at this point, you might expect me to be critical of many of the ungodly voices that we listen to. I don't need to do that. My concern, frankly, is the non-godly voices that we listen to all the time. And they drown out the voice of God. Now, God has an outside voice, and he can use it. But the reality is, we choose to fill our lives with so much ambient noise. And most of the time, God refuses to scream over it to get our attention. You ever notice that the word listen and the word silent use the exact same letters? It's why it says in Luke 5, Jesus often withdrew to lonely places and prayed. He said to the disciples, come away with me to a quiet place. It was the practice of Jesus to go outside of all the surrounding noise so that he could hear the voice of God. Next Sunday is the Super Bowl. If you watch, you will see this fellow who is considered by many the best player in the NFL right now. He's Patrick Mahomes, quarterback of the Chiefs. You might see him during the game do something like this. You know what he's doing? His hands are over the ear holes of his helmet because there is a radio inside that helmet. He's trying to drown out the surrounding noise because he needs to listen to another voice, a better voice, a voice above him, a voice with a better perspective, a voice that can give him the direction he needs for what to do Next, because attention requires in 
tension. If getting better at following Jesus is important to us, then getting better at hearing Jesus will be imperative to us. And that's why, with all my heart, I believe that followers of Jesus must intend to improve their hearing. Because listening does not happen by default. Every spouse knows this. Every parent knows this. Every school teacher knows this. Good listening does not happen by default. It happens by design. Now, Scripture has taught me that God is eager to speak. Life has taught me that being eager to listen is not a place I will drift to. It is a place I must choose to get to. Many choose to stay deaf to the voice of God and they just entrust to others the responsibility of hearing God for them. But our rabbi is asking more of us than that. You know, if Jesus says something more than once, it might be important. Fifteen times Jesus said, He who has an ear, let him hear. It is the most important thing a disciple does. I know that's a bold statement, but I didn't make it. Jesus did. It's right before he's about to be crucified. He's at a dinner party with dear friends, Lazarus, Mary, and Martha. Martha's getting everything ready, and she's frustrated. It says she had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet. What's she doing? She's listening to what he said. But Martha was distracted by all the preparations that had to be made. She came to him and asked, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to do the work by myself? Tell her to help me. Martha, Martha, the Lord answered, you're worried and upset about many things. But few things are needed, or indeed, only one. Mary has chosen what is better, and it will not be taken away from her. Hearing the voice of Jesus is better. What can you do in your hectic, crazy, busy life that is better than hearing Jesus speak to you? But are you choosing it? You see, hearing is the means. Jesus is the goal. Mary didn't want anything from Jesus. She wanted Jesus. He is the treasure. He's the prize. He's the reward. And the thing is, he wants greater intimacy with us than many of us are seeking to have with him. Don't settle for that. I did. For over half my life, I settled for a kind of discipleship where I never heard Jesus. I don't want that for you. 
Don't settle for anything less than a dynamic, living, listening walk with your rabbi. You cannot have that kind of relationship through someone else. Now, other people can hear Jesus with you, but nobody can hear Jesus for you. It's got to be your decision and your intention and your passion to choose what is better. So I want to close with one more illustration. And again, only a few will understand or remember this picture, but in the mid-last century, it was one of the greatest icons in marketing world for RCA Victory Records. Here's the backstory. That painting was uh, by an English artist named Francis Barad. That little dog's name is Nipper. Nipper belonged to his brother who was sick. And his brother recorded his voice on some phonographs, and when he passed, those phonographs and little Nipper became Francis possession. And when Francis would put those phonographs on his gramophone, wherever he was, little Nipper would run to that speaker and cock his head and listen because he recognized his master's voice. And by the way, a cat would not do that. <laughs> Don't you push back. You know I'm speaking truth. But you can do that. You can learn wherever you are to hear the voice of your master. You can decide whatever it takes, I'm going to get to where I need to be to hear the voice of my master. You can hear the voice of Jesus. And it does not mean you are weird. It means you are a disciple. So, more to say later, but right now we're going to pray for improved hearing. Bow your heads, please. I know to some of this, you, this is not new. Some of you have been listening to God for a long time. I also know for some of you, this is brand new and even a little intimidating. But we serve a good God who wants a relationship with you. So what, what I want you to do is just take a moment and say, Lord, improve my hearing. You, you may not even believe in God. I want you to pray anyway. Just say, God, if you're there, reveal yourself to me and see what happens. But take a moment and ask for better hearing. We thank you, Father, that you're the kind of God, unlike the other gods, who will not be distant, who will not stay mute, who wants a real relationship with us. And so help us to improve our hearing, to believe that we can have that kind of relationship with you, that it's good to hear your voice. Teaches Jesus how to recognize when you speak so we can do what we were created to do and follow you. Amen.